If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. Welcome back to our regular uh, listeners. I already see Jonathan Kimmitz out there. Thanks for being here today. For those of you that are new to the show, welcome to another episode of And Security for All. We had another fun week at FutureCon. For anyone that doesn't know, we put on cybersecurity conferences all over North America, and we have been on the road like crazy this year. I just got back from Houston yesterday. We had our annual Houston conference there and very, very nervous because Texas was having a lot of uh, storms and weather and uh, it didn't quite hit Houston. So we had a packed house. It was so good to see all of our friends. We haven't been back to We haven't been in Houston since 2019. It was nice to see a packed house. And we also had probably a couple hundred other cyber uh InfoSec uh, attendees watching us virtually. So it was such a great event. It, um, it just is, I can't even put words into how happy it feels to see everyone again. We have a break next week and then we're off to September. We have a super busy month. We're in Des Moines, uh, Chicago, and then Phoenix. So again, as I always say, if you're out there and you happen to be in one of those uh, regions, look me up on LinkedIn and send me a DM and I am happy to send you a VIP invite to come join us. You can always catch our shows virtually as well. You know, it's so nice with all the bombshells going off every day in the cyber industry. We still get a packed audience of cybersecurity practitioners and it's so nice that they're able to get away from the office for the day and see other peers and their teammates and, you know, um, have some great content and, of course, to um, walk away with some more uh, certifications that they get to use for their yearly certifications. Um, I'm excited about today's guest. I actually met him back in Los Angeles years ago, again, at one of our cybersecurity events. And as always, he was another new friend I had made in the industry. Um, I'm excited to spend the next 50 minutes with him. I have Chris Rides. He's the finder, founder in cybersecurity staffing. Um, ME. He's a conference speaker. Uh, he is a CISO. He's a pen, trust, pen test tester. And he does all kinds of things. And today we're going to be talking about what he's doing now post-COVID and um, covering a very, very talked about topic, hiring, retaining cybersecurity staff and the skills gap. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate that. I should say I'm not a CISO. I'm definitely an advisor to a CISO. But when, when it comes to my expertise, it's definitely cybersecurity recruitment over cybersecurity. And I always, I always joke with people about that because, you know, if you come and start asking me cybersecurity questions, I'm done. I'm no good. But now, I, you know I, about cybersecurity recruitment, I'm your person. All right. Well, <laughs> my bad on that. I guess I said virtual, you know, the virtual, you're, you advise to CISOs. And I mean, um, so first of all, um, you used to be out in L.A. and I met you through um, the local chapter of the CSA. 
And for anyone that doesn't know what CSA is, you want to tell our um, tell our listeners, our Voice America people, what uh, CSA is, just to yeah. give them a little shout out. Absolutely, yeah. And I'll give you a bit of background on myself as well. So uh, CSA is the Cloud Security Alliance. Uh, so in, in my actual background, I've spent over 20 years in tech recruitment. Uh, 10 years ago this month, actually, it was our 10th anniversary, I started Tyro Security with a really good friend of mine. He's the technical person, the clever one. Uh, he, his background was pen testing. Rob, if you're out there, good to see you. Um, and he, uh, he, he actually, his background was starting a pen testing company in the UK, which he grew and then was acquired by NCC Group, if anybody knows them. They've, been, they've grown, grown from a, a huge UK company to a global player, basically, off acquisitions. Um, and then he's, he's had other cybersecurity technical companies as well, which were also acquired. And I brought that staffing part to it. And basically, we went out and the idea was we would go out and, and help CISOs find their staff and retain their staff. And then we also had part of the business that would help them with their penetration testing. We mostly focus on their third party stuff and working with their vendors, which is obviously a big deal, especially when we're seeing news about things like LastPass this week um, where where there have been issues that have come through vendors. So that's our kind of focus on the professional services side, getting those vendors up to spec. And um, you know, if they need to get ISO certified, we help them through that process, things like that. Um, so they can, a lot of small to medium business can actually deal with really big businesses. So that's the background on the company. But um, Cloud Security Alliance, 10 years ago when I moved to LA and started the business, I went to one of their first meetings somehow if anybody's been involved with the community you kind of volunteer and say i don't mind helping with something and next thing you know you're really solidly involved and uh i i helped found that chapter uh, alongside a lot of other great people and um ended up twice president of it and it, and it really got me involved in the community and that's you know i've gone on to speak at b-sides events and of course defcon rsa and places like that isc squared uh, congress as well so i've really really been involved in the community and i just I love being part of it and hope, help, hoping that I can help solve some of these retention and hiring issues and, of course, the skills gap that, that's been talked about over many years. Well, just a couple of shout-outs. Um, uh, Tim Savage, he's a friend of ours too, I guess. He knows you, Chris. Tim. Yes. Hey, Tim. Yeah, Tim was, <laughs> was on the show. Tim is, let me tell you about Tim. He is any salesperson that wants to know how to make a sale at our events, go talk to Tim Savage. You know, he's not one of those guys that just stands behind the booth and waits for people to come to him. He is out there and he gets shout outs from CISOs all the time at our events. I want to, you know, I want to find out about his company because of Tim Savage. So he, he's, a, he's another great guy out there. And uh, Joel Olivo, um, thanks for being here, Joe. Um, glad you can make the show. We love when hey, we uh, get all kinds of new friends. And again, um, going back to, again, CSA, when you were involved with them, I totally get it. Like right here in St. Louis, they don't have an active chapter with ISSA. And I kind of, I was talking to them on a corporate level and they're like, hey, you want to put together the local chapter? And for a minute, I tipped my toe in it and I was like, there is no way I'm so flat out busy with this show and being on the road with future kind of events. So I, I would love to, I wish I had that kind of time to do that because it is such a great 
way for those out there listening. It is so, um, you know, great to get involved with your local chapters because you do get to meet your local community. And um, so kudos to you for doing that, you know, all these years. And a couple other ones, uh, David Alcock. Um, um, thanks for being here today as well. But that this is, I mean, we're not, e we're not even hearing hiring and retaining cybersecurity staff and skills gap. I mean, we're hearing it everywhere. You know, we're hearing it in the airline industry, in the restaurant industry, you know, in the hotel industry, in the hospitals. So every industry has their own problem and every industry has their own, you know, emergency situation of what are you going to do if you don't have enough people and I that's going back to my opening introduction it is just truly amazing to see a whole house full of uh, cyber you know people coming to my events because they're very fortunate that they get to get away from the office because of all the you know trying difficulties that are happening daily with being understaffed and overworked and trying to maintain some balance. So I don't even know where you want to start with this because it's such a big, um, a big conversation to have. And, you know, maybe going back to Jonathan, Jonathan is the CISO over at the University of Tulsa and he runs his SOC team. He gets some of his students that are running his SOC team, which is such a, an amazing thing he's doing. But then what happens when the students graduate, you know? So where are you? Tell us what you're doing and how you're helping companies. Let's just kind of start on the hiring process and then we'll talk about mm -hmm. the retaining and finding, you know, the right skill. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think actually talking, I, I'm an advisory board member for Insight, um, uh, which uh, is involved in training and, and bringing people through from, from, and from colleges and state colleges. Um, and, also a uh, founder of a, a non-profit that's um, in focused on bringing diversity, um, more diversity into our industry as well. So I'm involved in that, that, that whole area. So although as a business, we earn our money and get paid by finding these hard to find uh, experienced individuals um, and bringing them to, to companies' attentions and, and helping them hire them. That's what we do and that's how we get paid. Um, the, the challenge is, and the challenge with diversity actually on that as well, is you're hunting from the same pool. So just because you're making your company more diverse by hiring in diversity into your team, you're taking that diversity out of another company. So that's not really helping the industry. Um, so actually, you know, talking about um, what David does and other people, bringing people through into entry level roles are the absolute key. And I'm, I'm super passionate about that. Uh, I'm still figuring out how um that fits into to the business that we do as well because of course the easier i can fit it into a business the more time i can spend on it and it's a real passion of mine so we've talked to a couple of companies recently about helping them build out their tier one socks and that is a great place for for entry level and and people graduating or people transitioning coming into the industry that's a great place for them to start um and it's something i'd love to see more companies doing i i actually did a poll on linkedin uh it's about a week and a half two weeks ago just asking like who does their tier one sock work and i think it was about 34 percent um of companies had a tier one sock or people that responded um had a had a tier one sock uh, the next level down i think there was about 29 um 29 outsourced it to like an, an mssp uh, and then the rest pretty much there was another thing but the rest pretty much 
just gave their tier one sock work to their experienced people. And that was really interesting to me because first off, that is, I know we're going to talk about hiring, but from a retention point of view, that's a really bad idea. And it's, it's not good productivity from a company uh, point of view to have your experienced people um, dealing with tier, tier one issues. Um, also, you know, that's not something they're going to enjoy doing. It definitely helping burnout, which is obviously the thing that you want to try and avoid. And there's been some really interesting stats around the number of hours that um, people are working and socks work some crazy hours. It's not un unusual for, for people working at SOC to be working well over 60 hours um, a week. So, yeah, that was interesting. I also um, had the pleasure of speaking to somebody that was in a SOC and was very experienced. Um, and their issue was that their MSSP um, hires people at a very low level, um, doesn't tend to pay them that well because, of course, they've got to make their profit and still make it cheaper for their end client. Um, and they're struggling to keep their staff. So the SOC, the person that was experienced within the business, was continually doing new playbooks, continually training these people that were coming through the MSSP. And then they were obviously getting six months experience under their belt and then off and leaving for, for their next opportunity. So it's really interesting. I find that that particular area, um, one that's a great opportunity for businesses to, to do the right thing, um, to help bring more people into the industry because that's the true skills gap. Um, and if we can bring more people into the industry, we can bring more diversity. Um, we also, it's great for a company, right? You're helping with your retention and you're bringing through a whole group of people that you can train up and you can take and you can put into other positions within your business as they build experience. So um, I've, I've, I've been really enjoying those projects. Um, you know, I wish we had a few more of them because there's so many more people that we that we really could help with that. But that's that's an area that I, I, I find exciting and, and passionate. And when we talk about skills gap, what we're really talking about is not enough entry level positions, people graduating or coming through and companies not feeling like they add enough value on day one, or even they're so un, they're so over understaffed and, and overwhelmed with work that their experienced people who want to mentor just don't have time to do it. So bringing on a, a, a person and everybody has to have some runway to hit, you know, even the experienced people, it's going to take them a couple of months before they're adding top value. But when you bring in somebody entry level, it takes a little bit longer than that. And if your staff haven't got time to train them up, you know, it's that gap there that's kind of the true skills gap. Um, and we're going to feel it you know, as people with lots of experience that are very well paid retire and probably retire early because we know that burnout's an issue in our industry. We've got the next level coming, but where's the next level after that? Right. Those are the kind of some of the issues that we're dealing with that I get to speak to at a lot of these events and, and stuff like this. Well, it's certainly since COVID, the whole work dynamic has changed. You know, mm -hmm. what you hired someone at prior to COVID definitely is a huge inflation of what, you know, you get that same person at a way higher wage. So, um, you know, that's the question for the, the employee. Are you going to stay with a company that has a great culture? Are you going to run around and try to find all these big price, you know, where you're going to be paid more? So I, I, I feel that's a pretty tough place for the employee because everybody wants to make money, but you also don't want to wreck your career 
by leaving a good place where you you do have the longevity that you could you know be promoted so so what's your advice to them because everyone's handing out big dollar bills right now to get people to come to their company yeah they absolutely are and i've seen quite a real really interesting trend over the last couple of years really since since covid um certainly right now we've got companies that are trying to push people back into the office um and people that have been working from home for some time and feel like they've been very productive at home and enjoy the flexibility and, and other stuff, other benefits that that gives. And so um, people kind of seeing that people are also almost seeing, it's almost like a level of um, vulnerability. You know, people have got ill, people have died, you know, millions of people have died and, um, and you kind of tend to hold your family a bit closer when that sort of stuff's going on. I think, not many, not many people that haven't been impacted. Certainly my family has, um, I lost my grandmother to COVID. So, um, you know, you, you do sort of see that stuff going on and you start thinking, well, actually more and more companies are throwing money left, right and center. But the reasons that candidates are coming to us and looking to leave is less and less about money now. Um, less and less, much more about their lifestyle, um, what flexibility they get, um, you know, around the benefits, what kind of benefits they get. All of these sort of things are, are what we're seeing a lot more of. And I think that's a really positive thing. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, at, at some of the levels that people are earning anyway, an extra twenty dollars or $30,000 a year really is making no difference to their lifestyle, certainly at the experience level, whereas a lot of these other things really do. And so I think companies are starting to switch on to that. Um, and I think other companies are starting starting to feel the pain because if their unique selling point, and I, and I talk about this quite a lot on LinkedIn, if if your unique selling point as a company is just that you pay more than most other people, that's not that's not going to be a, a, a long term selling point for you because it's not doesn't mean as much as it did two years ago. Well, and there's probably a price to pay for that. I would imagine. You know, if you're in a place where you do have great benefits and flexibility and you work hard when you have to work hard, but when it's time to take some time off, you know, the company is, you know, making sure that there is some balance there. I would think there are, and I've heard the companies that are paying really high, there are higher demands that come with that as well, that are going to push you more to your burnout. And really quick, before you comment on that, Kurt Manuel, uh, thanks for being here today. Um, Jonathan uh, Kimmett said, with the idea of people will stay at lower level jobs for a short time, do you think a feeder program for, for entry level would be useful? Hire them for six to 12 months, then expect them to move on. <laughs> Jonathan, I know, we haven't spoken about this before, but um, the point you raise is absolutely spot on. Um, funnily enough, a couple of the proposals we've got out there at the moment are to provide um, the tier one SOC as contractors for exactly that, like a guaranteed 12 month contract. Uh, the company can extend them after the 12 months or can convert them anytime they want to permanent staff as soon as they've got the headcount. So yeah, what you're dis describing there is exactly what we're seeing. And um, especially at the moment, it's, it's interesting. I come from a contract recruitment background. Um, I don't see anywhere near the amount of contract usage in cybersecurity teams as I did in IT teams. Um, but it seems like this is the one area where I was speaking to a CISO of, of a very large company um, and talking to them about headcount. And 
they were saying that when they get headcount, it's it's not really the budget that stops them hiring what they want. It's the headcount. So they get a headcount. And if you have the choice of you can take on somebody with solid experience for $200,000 or you can take on an entry level person at $60,000, let's say, and you've only got one headcount, you're probably going to take the really experienced person that will add value quicker and add more value in, in a shorter period of time than an entry level person. And I think that's where the issue lies. And that may well be why what you're discussing and talking about there is exactly what we're starting to see. And it's some of the conversations that we're having with CISOs now are about bringing them in as contractors um, on that 12 month basis with the whole idea that, you know, they'll keep them, they'll keep them, they'll, they'll, they'll then co uh, convert them when the time is right for the business. Um, and of course, you know, they know that the risk of that is if somebody gets six to 12 months experience under their belt, there's a danger that somebody else could come in and, and, and try and hire them directly. Uh, so yeah, yeah, they're absolutely seeing that. You know, it's interesting. I was, um, this is kind of changing the conversation a bit, but at a recent conversation, I was talking to a CISO that um, went off. We saw a lot of CISOs go off and start their own consulting company. And um, he worked for a pretty huge company and then he went off on his own and he's now getting ready to go back into the marketplace because he's like, now I don't get the same. He, he didn't say it in these words, but basically he's not getting the same respect from all the other CISOs. He's kind of feels left out of the community and, um, you know, it, it's just tough. It's not as easy as he thought it was going to be. And we saw a lot and I am seeing, cause I'm pretty connected all over the country with a ton of CISOs and I am seeing a lot of them leave that went off on their own that are now coming back. What is your thoughts about that? And are you seeing the same thing? <laughs> it's funny you say that, that, that kind of, that's I'm, I am seeing that. Um, so first off, like the, the whole this idea of virtual CISO, and we we provide that service as a company. Um, the issue with a lot of this is that the CISOs have great contacts, um, but most of them either like most of them don't really enjoy sales, right? And and it takes up a huge amount of your time. And so a lot of the CISOs that think, right, I'm going to go and run my own business, have got to remember that a major part of running a business is going out and acquiring clients, acquiring people um, that are interested in your services. And like the best way to do that is to have somebody who's a salesperson and dedicated at it. And, and it's not really a one person gig. So I think a lot of CISOs that are thinking about going down that route, um, it gives a lot of flexibility, but, but they will have the challenge of having to do sales themselves and having to be a lot more involved in that. And it, it's incredibly time consuming. Um, so that's one thing I think they see. I think that what you're describing also gets seen by some very well-respected CISOs that end up working for solutions providers. Um, it's like the moment they become, they go to solution providers, certain very big uh, companies will just cut them off. They've had a great relationship. They want them to come to all of their events. The moment they work for a, a solutions provider, if your solutions provider isn't, um, basically isn't there sponsoring the event you don't get an invite anymore even though the whole bunch of all the other CISOs that you, that you know and you've known for years are all going you don't get the invite so I had a conversation with two people that are CISOs um, previously CISOs at huge companies now CISOs um, actually this was at, at DEFCON I sat in between them uh, having dinner and we were talking about this exact thing 
Um, and they did say they missed sort of working at an end provider and getting and, and being in that sort of circle. Um, but also we talked about actually arranging, you know, maybe a everyone's invited CISO event uh, where, you know, the solution provider CISOs will be there. All of the CISOs will be there. And it's just about everybody getting together because at the end of the day, most of these people know each other very well and have done for years. And so the thought of them being stopped, um, uh, stopped to being part of their own community um because somebody's not going to make money off inviting them to events is is doesn't it doesn't really sit that well and also those people are going to go off and become CISOs eventually uh, end clients again i suspect at some time so you're really not doing yourself a good favor um doing that yeah it's i've seen it happen a lot and you know these CISOs are like the celebrities you know the red carpet is definitely rolled out for them and then when that's ripped out from underneath you yeah, that's a bummer. So I definitely have seen that. And and on the same token, I can't have a solution provider CISO as a keynote speaker at one of my events because it just will be looked at like it's a vendor event and not an educational event. And that bums me out because I get tons of um, speaker submissions from you know, CISOs that are on the solution side that have a phenomenal background, but just the whole name of, you know, them working for a solutions provider, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for marketing, unfortunately. So I guess that's just, you know, I still try to put those, those, you know, amazing people on my panel because we are really lucky to know so many great, um, you know, educated people with so much experience um val lord sorry when i'm i connect barely read these i know she pops them up on the um the screen but i'm always squinting to read them it's a val lord had a comment he said that's a really interesting model going back to jonathan's model as an entry-level person that would be uh very attractive to have the security of a contract the option to bring on a full time at any time is great yeah, it is. Hi, Val. By the way, I know Val. Oh, I know Val, too. Hey, Val. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> it just it just clicked to me. So, yeah, Val, Val's a, um, yeah, nice hearing from you, Val. So, yeah, that that's yeah. and he can I, I believe he, he he may do something a little similar to what you're doing. I'm not sure. Val, no, I think uh, I think she's a, a practitioner. Oh, OK. I'm thinking of a different good. Val. But yeah. thanks, Val. Um, I'm glad you're here. Anyway, go ahead. But to answer her question, I mean, we do see, we see that, you know, one of the things that we do when we're um, verifying all of our attendees, because um, I was just reading an article on deep fakes and, you know, mm. on LinkedIn, we, through COVID, got a lot of those that would make up these LinkedIn names. And we do, my team is phenomenal. We verify every single person and we make sure if they don't have a legit you know, we do, we go through a, a big, you know, um, confirmation, but we find fake people on LinkedIn that try to get into our virtual event. And, um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, but I, I'll step in actually, Kim, if that's all right. Cause yeah. I, I saw a similar article. I think it was this morning I was reading it. Actually, do you know what? It was a Reddit post last night and they were talking about deep fakes and, um, not even deep fakes, really, just having these people um, interview and then different people turn up. It was a mm -hmm. really interesting, um, really interesting situation. I've got to say from our end, and maybe it's just because it's cybersecurity, 
Um, I personally have seen, haven't seen as much as speaking to old colleagues of mine that work in other areas. Um, for instance, there's one that has a, a recruitment company that focuses on um, staffing development and software engineer roles. And they've had a real issue with people sort of keeping, keeping their lights down really low, lots of delays where they're actually getting the answers, stuff like that. I've got to say in 10 years, um, we've only had one, but we have, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite a deep fake, but it was, uh, it was one where somebody had um, interviewed, taken a role, and then the client took a month to get a purchase order. Um, and in between, they found another position. And so they then recommended a friend of theirs. And what I think was happening um, was that they were helping them with the answers. And so they were actually doing delays purposely so that they could give them some tips on answering it um, and they did, they actually got found out pretty quickly I think cybersecurity people are, are pretty switched on with with things like that and and so that helped but it was a really really interesting it was my first time I have seen it um, having spoken to people outside of our industry it's becoming more and more common um, the other thing is people turning up that actually didn't get the job in the first place, which is scary. I mean, I think for in our industry, there's a lot of background checks and a lot more that's done. Um, but I know this Reddit post was actually in the cybersecurity area and they were discussing it there. And um, it was interesting to hear that some people were starting to see a lot of it in our industry. Yeah, and I guess I, that's where I was going with it. Just, um, you know, you don't know how legit, you know, some of these people are. So I, I do like the whole contract i mean well where i was going is when we go through this now i'm coming back to where i was going with this what we see is a lot of consultants now that are getting you know like a year contract with like a boeing or so there are um so when we go to verify our attendees you know it they we we don't usually accept consultants or students or um salespeople at our events because it's just not what our what our vendors pay for our sponsors pay for hmm. but we do let our students come volunteer at our desk because we do want to get them you know um kind of intermixed with to see what's out there but um i'm starting to see a lot of independent consultants that um, we do like come because they are contracted with you know some of the you know, so I guess that has happened a lot through since COVID and especially since the job shortage, you know, these people are putting these independent consultants on contracts, but it would be nice to see some of these entry level. It's just, I don't understand. And maybe Jonathan would have more to say about this, but are these kids that are graduating with these, you know, um, cybersecurity degrees, I would assume engineers are getting hired, but you know, where are these kids going? I mean, that that's just crazy to me that there's not a place for them when there's such a, you know, high demand for um, people. Yeah, it's, um, and it's not just, not just people graduating, it's people transitioning from jobs, people that have got experience in other areas and some of them have done boot camps. You know, that some of this stuff really bothers me. I see boot camps and I've even seen universities publishing things about how high, you know, you can earn six figures in an entry level role and things like that, which the truth is, are there people, is that happening? Yes, right, it does happen. But it's such a small amount of people that are going in and earning these huge amounts of money straight out of college or in their first cybersecurity role that it's it shouldn't be, you're setting somebody's expectations wrong by doing that. Um, I think the truth is that most people out there 
when they get a chance of of doing of get of their first entry level role are going to be earning you know maybe around the same as what anybody getting in, into IT is maybe a little bit more um so it is interesting i'm actually i put forward and and got accepted to to run a panel at infosec world in orlando um which is next month and i really wanted to do something um that would be useful for entry level people because i know a lot of these people attend and they attend virtually and you know they 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 go to a lot of these different conferences and um and they want more advice you know they're desperate they've some of them have you know spent a lot of money getting to the point that where they are whether that's on a boot camp or on a, on a university or in certifications things like that and they then find themselves applying for lots and lots of jobs and just not getting anywhere or reading the job adverts and seeing getting excited because there's all these entry-level jobs and then looking at them and you've got people asking for CISSPs or two years of experience and things like that right there's a lot of messed up stuff that's happening in our industry at the moment um and actually this panel we, we we're going to do i've got four people that all recently got into their very first entry-level dedicated cybersecurity role um and we're doing a q a and speaking to them about the challenges they had and what they did to overcome them um and i'm really excited to do that I, unfortunately it's not being filmed i wish it was but we're going to probably do some follow-up Q and A's with them and, and things like that to just try and get this message out. You know, don't just hear it from me in terms of things that I think you should do if you're entry level, but also hear it from people that actually succeeded and hear about the grind that it took them. Right. None of those four people got lucky. None of them. Right. just Oh, I applied for five jobs and I got one. None of them. You know, one of them applied for 120, 130 jobs. Right. And, and there's things to learn from that. Another person um, applied for 20 to 30 and made sure they changed their resume every single time. So every person has got a certain thing that helped them. Now, person that, that applied for 120, 130 roles, they, um, they did that, but then they practiced to get their interviews right. So they only got a handful of interviews, but they turned those interviews into a job by putting a lot of like, you know, you know, you know failure to prepare is preparing to fail. Right. And that's exactly it. They, they really focused in it. And I think there's each things that you can learn from each of those people. And here also that it's an absolute grind, right? So if you're, you're, you're out there and you're trying your best and you're not getting anywhere and you're thinking about giving up, just keep going at it. There's a role out there for you. And more and more companies are realizing that they need to hire entry level people. And they're trying to figure out how they do that. And we're, we're, we're lucky enough to be in situations where we're sitting down with CISOs and helping them figure out how how to retain people how to um how to not be un understaffed right because they continually are and it's a vicious cycle because when you're understaffed your team have more work to do when they have more work to do they want to leave and work somewhere else where they're not going to be under that much pressure so once you've lost one person if you don't fill that role quickly and you don't have a plan quickly you've lost two people and then you're in a panic right, right. so it's um yeah, it's still a crazy world out there. And, and despite the strange market we're in, um, generally, the cybersecurity world, you know, the few layoffs and things you read about, everybody I know that's technical on the cybersecurity side that's come out is getting three or four job offers. So there's still the demand there. Couple of comments. Um, Jonathan said it's hard because entry level positions still require some experience beyond entry level. And then he goes on to say, I encourage all students to get some entry level IT jobs 
that they enjoy and get a few years jobs experience than um, security positions that relate to the IT jobs they enjoy. And I would su assume it's super important, you know, obviously while you're in school to, you know, have some internships that you're doing. So, I mean, I, I would, that's the young people that I know, that's what I encourage them to do. You know, I mean, then you're kind of in, you know, I'm lucky because I had someone that interned for me all through um, college and she's one of my greatest employers. And I don't want to tell you guys her title that they may, you guys might try to steal her from me. <laughs> I have to keep her protected. <laughs> so, and um, David Alcock said, I'm informed that with 80K graduating annual, annually, only one in four is capable of delivering skillful communications, business, and technology capabilities. Is this um, factual? I just heard this on the panel that, you know, somebody was saying on my panel this week that they really encourage and it could have been Jonathan last week for, um, you know, these students need to get some people skills too, you know, that they encourage them to go work at restaurants and places where they have to, you know, you know, get, learn people skills, because if you don't have people skills, then what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, I've not seen those stats before, but that doesn't surprise me. I saw pulled out a load of stats that were talking about things like, that aren't that that weren't very important to companies things like empathy and some, some really strange like soft skills that are absolutely crucial for anybody to be able to do a good job um and uh i've been involved with insight which was cyber cyber watch west for 10 coming up 10 years now and um helping them sort of shape their curriculum and and from the start you know, we've been talking about how important those soft skills, the communication skills are, you know, no matter what you want to do, you can be the best. I, I, and I can tell you this because we have a professional services side, right? So, you know, you can be the best pen tester in the world. You can be somebody that can hack and get into anything. But if you're going to do it as a job and you're not capable to write a report that actually explains what you did and, and, and how you got to where you did and, and how they're going to be able to fix it. And you're not able to communicate that. You're not able to get onto the phone and, and actually discuss that with a technical person and also be, be able to discuss it with an executive and explain it to them. If you're not capable of doing that, you're not going to be the best pen, pen tester in the world, penetration tester in the world, because that's a crucial part, right? Penetration testing companies get paid for their report. They don't get paid to hack somebody and then not be able to communicate how they did it. So, so and that's just one example of a position in, in, in our industry, but things like SOC, you know, you're dealing with tier one issues. You may well be dealing with users. You're going to be communicating up and down to different people. You might get pulled into meetings. So the communication skills are absolutely key. Um, I don't know. I've never seen those stats before. Um, they sat like, I think most in, in certainly most colleges, I think they do try and promote um, communication skills. I can tell you from, Gracie, which is the, the non-profit I, I helped, was one of the founders for. I, uh, I just sit on the board now, but um, Janai and Melissa run that and do an amazing job. Um, they, they really are the true founders. Um, they made sure they bought into in some really interesting skills, like design, design thinking skills, getting people to pull reports together. And actually, they, um, they actually do assessments they come out with some of that the, that apprenticeship program with experience of doing assessments for clients having spoken to clients having delivered reports to clients um and so 
yes, I, that, I think there is a gap there. Um, hopefully people are aware of it. And I know certainly that we are because through, through this great Gracie program, um, we're trying to correct that and, and make sure that people do add value on day one. That's the goal. And that's the goal of, of trying to get people out doing internships. I've seen a number of people um, talked about joining Toastmasters. That's a great way to get um, some experience of, of you know, presenting. One thing I would say, having been in the community, um, your places like the Cloud Security Alliance, ISSA, OWASP, ISARCA, all of the, uh, ISC Squared, all these places that have chapters locally, most of them are really welcoming to new members, to people that haven't ever ever presented before. And I know that certainly in Los Angeles, um, they used to, to have a main presenter and they would have somebody do a, a short presentation before. And that was open to people that were brand new to presenting um, that could come and present on a subject and they would put it forward and that would give them some experience. So there's a lot of things that people can do and stuff like that you can put on your resume when you're applying for jobs, you know, talked at this chapter event. It definitely gets counted and people respect that. You know, going back to what you were saying about this panel, and I would love to hear your panel. Um, when I was in Houston, um, a lady I know out there, she works with a lot of military women that are just coming out of the service. And she asked me, I'm really honored to speak at this, but she asked me to come be a speaker to speak to these young women of, you know, how do you get into the industry? How do you, you know, how how do you even get a job? How do you get to be where you are? And it wasn't like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. You and I are not here because it just fell on our lap. It took a lot of grind and a lot of work out there. And, you know, it, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, you know, and I think, are we in a different generation that, you know, I mean, you know, are we in a different time where people aren't understanding that it does take the grind to get to, you know, get ahead? Because I know it, it definitely, I was, you know, in the military, put myself through everything, didn't come from anything and got myself where I am. It was not an easy task. So, you know, are are those, these people out here, you know, this younger generation, and I, I don't want to make anyone mad. I'm just wondering are they in a different mindset than where they should be? Uh, I don't, you know what? I don't actually think it's a generational thing. Um, you know, I think that we've all heard the stories of, you know, kids growing up in recent times and everybody gets an award and everybody's man of the match and whatever else, right. Rather than true winners. But I think, you know, from what I've seen, the generations that are coming through now are extremely clever. They're, great at looking for solutions um and you know i don't think we can fault them to for 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 being clever enough to to try and work smarter rather than working harder now i think they realize when they hit the ground running that they're gonna have to add the work harder part to that as well and i think they are you know i i um i don't think it's a, a i don't personally think it's a generational thing because i think people that are even transitioning um, out of other jobs are finding the same difficulties. Um, and I don't see that many people giving up that lightly. Um, and maybe, maybe the people that give up lightly don't talk about it so much, you know, um, but I see a lot of people posting and being very vulnerable on LinkedIn and saying which, where they are with things. And I have a LinkedIn group uh, that I run for um, 
that I run for kind of entry level and early career people where I'm just trying to give advice and um, I get other experienced people in there giving advice. In fact, we've got some great stories in there um, about how people found their first position um, in, in, in cyber and also how much hard work it is. So there are, there are places you can go and you can, you know, make sure that your expectations are set and not feel like you're the only person that's applying for a huge amount of, of roles and not getting the, the luck that, that, that you hope you would have done already. There's, there's, there's ways around it. I, I think I can't tell you how important it is nowadays for build to build your brand. Um, you know, it's difficult as cybersecurity people with, with, talk about privacy and, and not putting too much out there but ultimately um the people that tend to, tend to get snapped up the quickest are, are the people that are they're 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 authentic they're positive um they're vocal on linkedin um, they post regularly and i'll talk to you a bit about um a, a tip that i tend to use for anybody new joining my team and any put any advice i've given um to a lot of entry-level people but your branding is so important um I've, I've spoken quite heavily about a, um, a one, three, 10 rule. Um, and this is, this is my LinkedIn rule. And, and I think uh, if you want to build a LinkedIn audience, you have to be authentic. You have to be yourself. It is important. Having said that, to try and keep it as positive as possible. Um, uh, employee employers will check your LinkedIn. will see what you're saying. And if you're negative or moaning about the job you're currently in or anything like that, you know, even if it's justified, people take it at face value. So I, I just sort of encourage people to stay as positive as much as you can. Um, but the, the one, three, 10 is something. And I believe that, you know, if you can post one interesting, valid post a day on LinkedIn, um, if you can comment three times a day on, uh, and, and when I say comment, I mean authentically comment, not like, yes, I agree, or like something that you read and you feel passionate about and you want to actually thank them for, for posting it and tell them your part of the story in the comments, something like that three times a day doing that. And then the 10 is adding 10 people to your network that are going to help you achieve your goal. So if your goal is getting a new job, then, you know, and you want to be a, you know, a SOC analyst, then adding 10 SOC managers, maybe in a region or an area that you want to work within and, and, and taking the time to maybe write them a note as to why you're, why, why you're connecting with them. So that's my bit of advice. I think it's so important to think about branding. I'm mostly a LinkedIn person personally, um, but I see people doing a great job on Twitter and, and, and certainly in other areas uh, as well. But yeah, I think branding is so important. Branding is so important. LinkedIn is so important. I mean, we get, we get at least half of our attendees through our, um, you know, just our social media through my LinkedIn, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I started doing that a long time ago. And, you know, um, it's, it's great to have so many followers and just, just because getting the word out there. And another thing for like these younger, the younger people and since COVID and, you know, it, it's, we offer, you know, this virtual side of our events. I'm not crazy about doing it, but I have to do it because, you know, the cyber teams are hit with emergencies on the day of events, and this does give them the opportunity to see our, 
you know, see our um, speakers and we keep them on demand, but you did still have your group of more introverted, you know, younger, younger, older, it doesn't really matter what age you are, that feel more comfortable at home. And I so encourage them come out because my attendees leave so happy that they've met so many new friends. And these could be for uh, opportunities for you who you're sitting next to at a table during a session and not just ours going back to the local ISSA chapters and all your chapters because um, that's what they're there for to help each other and just a couple of things um, I just want to get these um, Jonathan I mean Jonathan brought a group of his he he co-hosts the show for me sometimes so he brought a group of his students on the show so so he said, I know you have amazing students, Jonathan. He said, I'm around students every day and they seem to be eager to learn and work hard. It's a lot of fun to um, teach them about cyber. They, are, they absorb it like sponges. And, and there are, there are great kids out there. I'm just talking about the ones that, you know, the, you don't get the first interview and you get down on yourself. You know, it, it's just like sales. It's you're going to get 10 no's before you get a yes, you know. Uh, David Alcock said, I'm doing a panel at Cybersity's National Conference in November with a corporate partner, an academic partner with our group focus, training, and challenge communities, building the bench for the future. So um, great. That's great, uh, David. I wish I could go to all these other events that you all are speaking at because um, I'm just too busy with mine. And thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan has been to our events. Chris has been to our events. Most people probably that are um, on LinkedIn Live know how fun our events are. But it is just, um, that is just a great way. It's a great way. I meet every single event. I meet new potential speakers for the following year. And um, we have a we have a really fun community and a great community. And I just hope those entry-level people, we all can make a difference to get them to where they need to be. It's, I feel like it's our opportunities as leaders in the industry to do what we can because it's, it, it is sad to hear that it's tough for them to break into the industry. Yeah, and it's, um, you're right. I mean, there are amazing people out there. I can tell you, like, in 10 years, uh, we've placed less than a handful of entry, true entry-level people. Um, it's just not something that most companies come to us like they can put out an advert and get a hundred responses you know probably in two days and yes it'll take some filtering and, and to get to what they need but um i can tell you that one of the placements we made which they were looking for somebody actually with two years experience and we found them somebody that just graduated from a master's that done a, a couple of really good internships um they hired them and uh they told us two years later that it was the best hire they'd ever had and the person had moved within the business moved to a different office um i think they were on like a team lead management um sort of route and career career path so yeah like th there are absolutely amazing people out there there are so many amazing graduates there are so many amazing people transitioning um you know that bring a whole host of experience that is valid and valuable for for our industry so yeah i would just i wish more companies and i genuinely think that companies aren't um i think most companies do want to hire entry-level people funnily enough i just think that they understand that that adds a whole host more pressure onto their experience teams and it's about them trying to find how they're going to do that 
and I'd happily look, I'll speak to any CISO about that. Um, you know, if somebody wants to speak about how they can do it and how they can form something that works, I will absolutely, you know, have that conversation with them because, you know, it does need to be done because at the end of the day, everybody's going to be hurt in, in a few years time when we've got this huge gap of people that just, we, we don't have experienced people there and, and um, that's going to be an issue for the whole industry. So, yeah. Well, um, Val, it was Val said, Val again, sorry, I mixed you up with the wrong Val, but um, she <laughs> said the practice of resilience through a job search is important. I'm working on a blog post about that and we're almost running out of time. And David, uh, yes, come to one of my events. Would love to see you. I love the fact that your events are all over the US, right? That's um, pretty amazing and it allows us like allows people to get to them in person a lot easier than some of these really big ones right where you have to travel for one event that's only one time a year so I, I've always loved going to your events I do totally agree with you it's you have to offer virtual but having spoke virtually at a number of the big conferences and work and spoken in person I love the in person it's and, and I would encourage anybody looking to get into the in industry, anybody that's already in our industry that's thinking about making a move or just wants to network, just get out there and, and, and meet people, um, even if that's locally. And do you know what? If you're in a city and there isn't any local chapters, think about starting one. I can guarantee there are local people that would are having the same point of view absolutely. as you and they want to go to them. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, these entry-level people. What a great way, you know. Get with some of your friends and start that local chapter. Ask if you can be part of it. Ask if you can volunteer. Ask, reach out to me. We always need, you know, we do 30 events across the United States. I'm always looking for volunteers and I make introductions. So there's all of us. We're down to about two minutes close. Any last closing thoughts of how all of us can make a difference to, and you have less than a minute of hiring, retaining, and just being there for we're, we're, you have about 20 seconds. So, yeah, I'm going to be super quick, right? Retaining staff. It, when people say people leave managers and not businesses, it's true, but it's probably not how you think. Um, good managers listen and then action what people do. Um, that is how you can retain your staff. Listen to what they're saying and actually take it on board and then try and do something about it if you can. Um, and then generally the biggest driver for people to, to go and start working for a new company or to leave a company is that they want to make a difference. They want to feel like they're making a difference. If they don't feel like they're making a difference in your business, then they're probably going to look somewhere else or they're not going to take your job. Well, Chris Rides is the CEO of Trio Security. Did I say that right? Trio Tyro. Security. Tyro. 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 I knew I messed that up <laughs> all the, after all these years. Um, thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show, Chris. I look forward to seeing you out in the industry soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Ant Security for All. We will see you all back next week. Have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into Ant Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.
Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.